0: Well, a happy 2023, Rockbridge. I, I hope everybody is ready. And excited to start a new year. My name is Matt. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you, and I just want to welcome you, all six of our locations, and also those of you that are online. We're just glad that you're here. We are going to get into God's Word together. We're going to be in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 28. And turn your Bible on, open your Bible up. You'll be able to follow along with me uh, in just a few minutes. But hey, before we get into that, I just want to remind you that we have pastors, staff members, elders who are available, and you If you need to talk, ask a question, receive prayer, you can use your Next Step card, which is somewhere near you or near a seat around you. You can speak to someone in a Connect Here area as you leave in our lobby spaces. If you're online, you can go into the chat area or the chat function, and we have a pastor who will respond to you. But also, we're out in our communities every Monday for Monday meetups, so if you're in any of these six locations and you just want to say hello, want to come ask a question, talk about something receive prayer these are just this is a great opportunity for us to be available in prayer uh, and in presence for the six cities that God has placed us in so i am always excited when the new year dawns because we start generally a new series, and, and people are trying to start new thoughts or new habits or new practices. I think there's always some sense of hope as we move into uh, to a new year, and so we're going to be in a series for a couple of weeks together, and we're going to call it Reframe, and we'll make that clear in just a minute. So I want to ask everybody a question, get our brains going. If I showed you this picture, would you say this glass is half empty or half full, Right? Some of us are half full. Maybe it's because it's 2023. Some of us are like, just the way the hand that you've been dealt in life, you tend to see this as as half empty. But all that this does, all that this does when we look at something that, from a purely quantitative standpoint, they have the same amount of water in it, but we see it differently. All that uh, shows us about human nature is we do something called framing. Framing means. We don't just see something, we see something as. We don't just see a glass of water, we see a glass of water that is half full or half empty. We don't just see a bear, we see a bear as dangerous perhaps, right? We don't just see a sunset, we see a sunset as beautiful or as the end of the day. Right? So, so we just don't see things as, just blank, black and white. We see them as. And we have this statement, right? We have this statement that we make. Is that we'll say, well, it depends on how you look at it. It depends on how you look at it. So you can view your life in this way. You can view your life as, as you're looking out a window or you're looking out the frames of a window. And, and you, by virtue of who you are, by how you were raised, by the fact that you were born wherever you were born, or your parents or who they were, you are given and you adopt a a set of lenses to look at things. So, for example, if I uh, pulled out, you know, one of the, the famous New Year balloons, right, for 2023, and we said, hey, how are you looking at this year? And that's not just a clear answer because you're looking at this year through a frame. You're seeing 23 as something, right? So we can do it this way. It's not just 2023. It's a new year. It's 2023 through a frame, through a lens that you've been given. Now, now here's the challenge, right? Here's the challenge. These lenses, these frames through which we see things, marriage, church, God, ourselves, a new year such as 2023, Things get put into this frame that affect how we see ourselves, that affect how we see a new year, that affect how we see God, that affect how we see the future, that affect how we see the world. And so I'll give you an example, right? All of us have experienced pain and trauma and emergencies. All of us have. Well, that can affect how we see things. That we see things through the lens of pain and trauma, and so we're protective, we're suspicious, we're insecure, we're fearful. There's a whole host of emotions that can be associated with this, and can affect how you look at your life, your future, your God, all of those kind of things. So, some of us, you know, we we we've got like the news, right? We've got the news. Now, this is like good news. This is a local guy who who played football in this area who's declared for the NFL draft, so we're proud of Jameer for that. So this is good news, but the news that we partake in and the news that we see and the news that we hear affects how we see things. I don't know, some of you, you, know, if you, maybe you were watching the news before you came to church and it, and it gave you a mindset about our country or it's how you're looking at something. And so we get those things that affect how we see things and how, how we look at things. Some of us, man, we've got a lot to do, don't we? And so we're, we've got our to-do list and, and we believe maybe we see our identity is based on what I do. So, when you look at 2023 or your marriage or your kids or your house or your job, it's through that. It's affected by your to do list. It's affected by things that you have to do and things that you have going on. And then all of us are given a set of lens by our childhood, by how we were raised. And and so it is never you and I just looking at our marriages, it is never you and I just looking at a new year. It is never you and I just looking at what happened on Friday. We're looking at those things through a frame and through a filter. And so what happens to us is we suddenly sometimes think, man, if things are going to be better, I've got to change or adopt or do some new practices which we typically, traditionally, historically called resolutions. However, what I I think we can press into a little bit in this series is this. While we often focus on trying to change practices, we're not often willing to examine and being willing to change our paradigms, and our paradigms are how we're seeing things. So I'll give you an example. You've heard me say it, if you're married... Hey, you need to date your spouse. need to go on date nights, right? You know, pay a babysitter now, pay a divorce attorney later. It's your choice, but go on date nights, right? But if the way I'm looking at my wife is unhealthy, I can have all the date nights as I want, and it's not going to help my marriage. If you've heard me say it, we talk about time with God at Rockbridge. Hey, you need to get in the Word of God, need to get in the Word of God, need to read the Word of God. But if you don't view the Word of God as the living and active Word of God, as the primary way that God wants to communicate to you and work on you and in you and speak to you and love you and share His truth with you, then you can just read the Word of God, and and five minutes later, you're like, what did I read? Because of what? How you are viewing the Word of God. So you can say, hey, I've read the Bible today, I've read the Bible today, i read the Bible today, I've read, read the Bible today. But if you don't understand what the Bible is and how God uses the Bible to speak to your soul and move you in the direction of His plans and His hopes for you and who He wants you to become, then reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible there's going to be no change. There's going to be no change. So we've got to address paradigms. We've got to address how we see things if we're going to maximize what God has for us this year, any year, this day, any day. Now, what's interesting, when you read the New Testament, specifically specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life of Jesus, Jesus saw things a whole lot different than everybody else. I, I just sort of made a list when I was thinking about it. I was like, man, Jesus viewed popularity different than anybody else. Jesus viewed women way differently than most men did in the first century. Jesus viewed the Sabbath way different. and Jesus viewed so many things, and really it was Jesus' paradigms that got him in trouble with the world that he was born into because he didn't look at things the way the religious people did, the way the Romans did, and oftentimes the way the apostles did, and a lot of his teaching, if you examine it, is him trying to change our paradigm or him trying to change how we look at it. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to take some of the ways that Jesus looked at the world and begin to ask ourselves, what if I looked at it as the same as Jesus looked at it, whatever it is? So one of those paradigms that jumps out of the pages of Jesus' life is found in John's gospel. It's found in John chapter 5, and Jesus says something That's astonishing, that's astounding, that's really awesome. Here's what he says. He says, my father is still working, and I'm working also. So he's claiming deity. He's part of the Trinity. He's the the son, and he relates to the father. And he says this. He says, for whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. So there's a paradigm there. There's a frame there. There's a way of looking at everything that he's given us, that he looks through his window Through the lens of this, God is always present and working. So if you were to say, hey, how is Jesus looking at 2023? Or how is Jesus looking at your life or your situation? We would say this, God, according to Jesus, is always present and always at work. God is always present and always at work. Now, there's some of you, when I say that, you're like, well, duh, he's God. Or, or duh, he's, and, and you've even got like a churchy theological word, and we call it, he's omnipresent, which means God is everywhere, and God is always present. But then if you really hold your, just hold your attention on this, God is always present at work, there's, there's a little bit where we have, some, we have some debate and we have some pushback, because sometimes we're like, well, really? Is God present at work when bad things happen? Is God present at work when it feels like my world is out of control? Was God present at work when this trauma thing happened to me? Was God present at work when I didn't really have the best childhood that I thought I was supposed to have? Is God present at work in my to-do list? Is God present at work in the news reel and the news feeds that are just make so many of us frustrated and angry and upset? Is God present at work in 2023? I mean, Jesus says he is, but we need to wrestle with this to understand this and to maximize this. And I think if we're honest, there's probably a little bit of a truth in what I'm about to say, okay? A lot of us look at our lives with this subtle yet powerful assumption that God is not really present and at work. Thus, a lot of life depends upon me Depends upon them and those people. And, and then God is at work maybe when I do some Christian things, some spiritual things, read the Bible things, say some prayer things. You know, that, that yeah, I've got to do life on my own and then maybe make God a part of my life through some prayer, through some church, through some Bible study. But to say God is always present and always at work, and that I look to God to see how I should respond like Jesus did, eh, I'm not sure that's the way the world works, But I don't see it that way. And so Jesus challenges us or challenges our, prep, our, our paradigm that God is always present. And God is always at work. So we're going to look at a story that I relate to tremendously in Genesis chapter 28. And this is a story of a man named Jacob and he lived his life as if this was not true. This was not his paradigm, this was not how he saw the world, not how he saw his future, Not how he saw anything. He did not live his life as if God was was always present and always at work. But he changes. And he becomes aware of this. And he begins to look at his life and his future through a different frame and it's mind-boggling, and it's so powerful. And so I'm just going to throw it out there: What if, what if you looked at whatever you're looking at right now? But let's, for the sake of the fact that we're in the new year, you looked at your new year, and this was a part of your frame. What difference might it make? So let's get into the Word of God, Genesis chapter 28. Let me give you a little bit of background. It's a guy named Jacob, and he's scheming. He's running. He's a manipulator. He's controlling. He's a fugitive from his brother. He's created family strife, and he's seeking a wife. That's a lot on his plate, right? And he's he's dealing with all of these things, and he does not believe that God is with him and that God is working. Now, listen. I know I'm like the professional Christian in the room and on the screen, but I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to be just vulnerable, okay? I can relate to our boy Jacob here. I, I, I wouldn't use these words. I would use, man, Matt really sometimes likes to take the steering wheel because Matt believes sometimes it depends only on Matt. If it's to be, it's up to me. If something's going to happen, i got to make it happen. If I don't, it won't. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can write Maybe you don't experience God is not present and always at work. Maybe you don't experience it the way Jacob and Matt do, but maybe you experience it because you just have constant fear, constant anxiety, and, and, and you mustering up courage is hard because you know you just ah, I don't have you, know, you haven't hope. It's hard because what, what do you have to hope in and who's giving you hope? The world doesn't give you hope. Your childhood didn't give you a reason to hope. The scars you have don't give you a reason to hope. What you see on the nightly news don't give you a reason to hope. And all the things you have to do don't give you a reason to hope. So, so maybe you experience it differently. But I think there's a little bit of Jacob in all of us in that we subtly or not just assume, man, God's not really working. and He's not really present. He's up there, out there. Somewhere, But in my now, in my today, in my moment, in my future, he's not really present at work. That's how Jacob was. So let's meet ourselves in this great story. We'll pick it up reading in verse 10 of chapter 28, first book of the Bible. So Jacob left Beersheba. Again, family strife, fugitive, seeking a wife. That's, just, that's what's going on. And he went toward Haran, and he reached a certain place, and this is a place called Luz. And uh, it's a deserty place. And he spent the night there because the sun had set. And so he takes one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. This is how, this is illustrative of his life. He falls asleep in the desert, alone, and a rock is his pillow. I don't know about you, but if I had to use the rock as a pillow, that would be a bad day, right? And, and his life is full of uncertainty. And his future is anything but because his brother sort of kind of wants to get even with him and his brother kind of sort of wants to kill him. That's another part of the story. We won't get to that. Uh, he, he's going out looking for a wife and how's that going to work? I mean, you know the stress of dating. Some of you do, right? I mean, I remember the stress. Anyway, crazy, right? I mean, so all that's going on he falls asleep on a stone. So that's his life. And in, in, in the back of his mind, you have to relate, right? When he's looking at his future... God is not present, and God is not at work. Okay? That's where Jacob is. Well, he falls asleep, and he has a dream. And in this dream, God reveals himself. So as he dreamed, a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down, up and down on it. And the Lord, in in, in literal Hebrew, we get the very personal covenant name of God. You know, like when you meet someone and they're like, hey, you call them like you're supposed to call them Mr. or you call them Mrs. No, 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 just call me Bob, right? Don't call me pastor, don't call me doctor, don't call me Mr. Just call me Jane. Just call me. This is God's personal name. So God's becoming personal. Not general, not vague, but personal. Not the man upstairs, not someone I've heard about from my parents, from my outlaws, from my in-laws, but God is speaking. So the Lord was standing there beside him, and he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. So he calls up Jacob's past through his grandfathers, great-grandfathers and promises that God made to Abraham about the promised land. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, and the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And God is saying this to a person who is living as if God is not present and active and work. So all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look. Pay attention. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, that's kind of a news flash. That right there, if Jacob believes it, trusts it, reframes his life, it's a game changer. Because remember how he's living his life. Same way Matt lives his life sometimes. God is not present. God is not at work. And so we begin to see something about God and all of this. So a couple of things that come out. First is the personal name of God. God's getting real and personal with Jacob. Then we, God recalls his past work in Jacob's family as if to say, hey, Jacob, I've been working on you, through you, through your family tree. I've been involved in your family in ways you cannot imagine. You do not appreciate, but you need to come to understand. I've been working on you, around you, in you, and through you, and you hadn't even known it. He says, because that's the recalling of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. And then he says, and he talks about his presence multiple times. I'll be with you. He gives promises. Hey, I'm going to give your family this land. That's why we call it today the promised land. And we talk about it, see it on the news all the time, right? But notice what God doesn't do. He doesn't give him any information, new information. All of this stuff Jacob would have some knowledge of through just family conversations, dinner conversations, his family passing on the heritage of of, of faith and who God is and how they got to be where they got to be and what God had promised to do. It just wasn't personal to Jacob, so he gets no new information. And I want to challenge us because we live in what's now known as the information age. A lot of us believe, man, if my life is going to change, I need some new information. No, you don't. You need a new perspective you need a new paradigm you need a new way of looking at things but you don't need new information there's enough information through God through his son through his word that you and I have to look at things in a way that brings about what Jesus promised in John 10:10 10, 10, full and abundant life now look at what this passage teaches us about God hey Jacob you're in a mess and God's in the middle of it with you. God's in the middle of your mess. Somebody, that's the only reason you're here this weekend, is to know that God's in the middle of your mess. Now, that can be a comfort. It can be a source of confusion. Because when I say God's always present at work and God's in the middle of your mess, some of us are like, man, did God cause my mess? Now, listen, God doesn't always cause things because there's other forces at work other than God. There's an enemy. There's my stupidity. There's the world. There's flesh. There's all those things that work as well. But whatever mess you're in, God's in it with you. God's in it with you. Second thing, and I I love this, God's presence is in the everyday. It's in the so-called ordinary. God's presence is with Jacob in a desert while he's sleeping on a rock for a pillow. We sometimes think, man, God's presence is confined to 11 o'clock on Sunday morning or 6.30 on Wednesdays or Thursdays. God's only present when I pray and open the Bible. That's a lie from Satan. But Matt and Jacob, probably more of you than you might want to admit, I live that lie all too often. But God's in the present in the everyday and in the so-called ordinary. And so what this begins to do is gives us a new way of looking at things. So really the truth is in in everything there's a human component and the spiritual reality the human component, and the spiritual reality. And, the, t- and the, way, the way this new frame that we're talking about this weekend works is you and I have to make a choice. What's going to carry more weight, the spiritual reality and everything I'm involved in and everything going on in my life or the human component? For all of Jacob's life, it was all about Jacob and all about what he could do and what he could scheme and what he could connive, right? And the spiritual reality was just a distant story that probably his mom had shared with him at bedtime a few times. Okay? So, you, there's kind of three options here when you look at this right here. The first option, will illustrate it this way. I've got my I and my. I want, I wish, I hope, I pray, I do, I don't do. My. My deal, my agenda, my way, my will. Right? And then we invite God into this. Now, Your opening may be bigger or smaller than this circle. We invite God into it when we pray before bed or pray before meals or when we come to church and ask God to bless our week ahead. We invite God into it occasionally. Some of you, let's just keep it real and be honest, right? Some of you, your circle's closed. It's you and you, and God is out here, or at least that's the way you're looking at it, okay? Another way that this human component and, and spiritual reality affects us is we compartmentalize it. I've got my everyday life, right? I, I'm in charge. I'm God. I'm God over my job. I'm God over my time. I'm my hobbies. Then there's my spiritual life. I go to church sometimes. I pray sometimes. I, I you know, or, or I go to church a lot, but the one hour at church. That's when I give God the time. The other 167 hours of the week, that's me and my deal. And so that, that's another way to look at it. But what's slowly emerging in the story of Jacob asleep on the stone pillow is what Jesus said. Hey, Jacob, Yahweh is still working. And I'm the son. I'm also working. And whatever the father does, I join him. I, the son likewise does these things. God is always present. And always working. And what is even getting added to this, this frame, this way of looking at it, is this. Yes, God is always present at working, but what God has just told Jacob is, Jacob, I'm present and I'm at work in purposeful ways, purposeful ways that are faithful to the Word of God, and they are for your eternal or your ultimate good. Okay? Your eternal or ultimate good. Now there's some you and God and me and God, we have some tension, right? Because I think what is for my good is often for my good in a moment. God is always working for ultimate and eternal, right? Just like your kids, you know, eat your green beans. They would rather eat a Krispy Kreme, right? You know? So you want God to give you a Krispy Kreme. If God gave you Krispy creams every day of your life, that would be a problem. That wouldn't be for your good, right? So you think when God gives you a green bean, God's not being good. Actually, God is being good, right? So you've got to see that. How you look at it. So God has just given Jacob a new way to look at his entire life. What does Jacob do? Well, he awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and here it is, I did not know it. I did not know it. So, so let me, let's correct something. I want to speak to Christians for a minute. You ever heard of Christians say, man, God showed up? I don't think God just shows up. I think we just wake up. We go to church, like, well, maybe something will happen. Maybe God will be there. God's there. We go to sleep on a stone pillow. God's there. God's there. The problem was never God's absence. It was Jacob's awareness. It's never God's absence. It's Jacob's awareness. And I promise you, that is the story of 100% of the people that I'm talking to because I know it's the story of the one doing the talking to you. It's never God's not present. It's I'm just not aware of his presence. Because let me say this about our God, the God. He does not know how to be absent. I just know how to be inattentive and distracted. God does not know how to be absent. I just know how to get myself inattentive and distracted. And so Jacob now is aware of the presence of God in a personal way. Not God is the intelligent designer and designed the cosmos to support human life. He did. But God is actively and intimately involved in my life. God is actively and intimately involved in my 2023. That's the difference. So Jacob wakes up, and here's here's the response. He was afraid. That's not bad fear. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. He has now what's known as the fear of the Lord. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It's the fear of missing God. How do you miss God? Because he's always present at work. You're inattentive or you're distracted. So he was afraid, and he said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now let's stop. What has changed? Jacob is still a fugitive. His brother still hates him. He still hadn't found a wife. He still still got a stone for a pillow. He did not stay at a holiday express that night, right? He still got a stone for a pillow. What has changed? How he looks at it. His frame. He's reframed his entire life. Now, let me stop because at this point, I think we all need to start getting a recognition of when I operate, with, when, when awareness of God is absent, what are some symptoms that show up in my life? Okay, I threw a couple up here. This is not comprehensive. I'm excessively frustrated. I'm looking, I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. Things are not going my way. Life feels futile. I start to want to take control. I start to want to grab the steering wheel because God doesn't have the steering wheel. Right, I, I live with a sense of futility. Best days are behind me, not ahead of me. Nothing ever goes my way. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm tempted to quit too soon. Tempted to give up too soon. God's not working. God's not moving, right? And, and then sin's presence becomes very, very powerful and tempting. And sin seems better than God. Those are just some symptoms of when I'm operating with a lack of awareness in God's presence. But for Jacob, for Jacob, he goes a step further. So early in the morning, he took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. Now, so this is incredible. He poured oil. He anoints the stone. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel. That means house of God, though previously the city was named Luz. So just, just look what just happened. The stone pillow, which was a sign of uncertainty, a sign of kind of lowness in his life, now becomes a sign of God's presence in his life. is crazy? Previously, he looked at that stone and said, man, this is a bad deal. I'm sleeping on a hard stone. Now he looks at that stone and says, God is with me. What has changed? Perspective. What has changed? The frame of reference, right? And so Jacob makes a vow. If God will be with me, now it's best to read this not as Jacob making some bet and conditional. This is a response of faith, okay? In the translation, they're throwing the word if here, but this is Jacob saying, okay, God's with me, so here's how I'm going to live, okay? So he makes a vow. If God will be with me, watch over me during this journey I'm making. If he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give to me. He becomes a tither. Because if God's always present at work, I don't have to hoard money to be in control of my future. God's got me. So so here's what I want to do for us, okay? And I'm going to offer you a couple of suggestions. What if you and I, this weekend, made a vow to look at 2023 through a very different lens. Not not always through our pain and trauma, not always through the news and the headlines, not through our to-do list, not through our childhood, but we began to look at 2023. Through the truth and the reality that God is always present and God is always working. How does that begin to change how I'm looking at myself, how I'm looking at my future, how I'm looking at my marriage, how I'm looking at my whatever I'm need- is drawing my attention right now? So a couple of, th- couple of components that would need to come out of that. First would be we would have to say, My entire life is spiritual. There are no godless compartments. When I go to work, it is an act of worship, and God is present and at work. When I look at my mess, God is present and at work. There are no parts of my week, no parts of my life that are not spiritual. Okay? So we have to say that. We have to wake up differently. Jacob went to bed one way, and he woke up another. And when I say wake up differently, I actually mean that literally. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. It's totally a suggestion, okay? Before you get out of bed in the morning, go through this in your mind. God, this day is your day. I am surrendered to you as I face this day. And I believe you are with me and you are for me and you are always present. And working. What have you done? You still got to do what you got to do. You still got to see who you got to see. You still got to face what you got to face, but you're going to face it with a different frame of reference. So wake up differently. Third part of a vow would be, I'm going to walk differently. When you walk with the truth and the belief and the knowledge that God is with you and God is for you, you'll walk differently. You'll go to work differently. You'll do marriage differently. You'll parent your kids differently. You'll handle money differently, like Jacob. You'll look at yourself differently. You'll look at your future differently. You'll walk differently because you're looking at things differently. No new information, just a new frame of reference, a new paradigm. Third, fourth, is we need to recognize Who or where Bethel is now? Remember, Bethel is the the name change. This place where the stone was changed the name from Luz to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. You know where the house of God is now? If you're a born-again Christian, you are the house of God. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? The church, the people of God, we are the house of God. That means if Christ is your Lord, your King, and your Savior, Jesus, through His Spirit, is with you in a special, profound, and incredibly personal way. God is always present, and God is always working. And let me close with this, okay? I want us to marvel at God for a moment, okay? Forget about your to-do list. Forget about your New Year's resolutions, right? I want to ask you a question. How long has God been working to show you and me he loves us? Do you know how long God's been working to love us and show us his love for us? He's been working. It's been in his heart for a long time. Listen, even before he made the world, God loved us. Just forget what you have to do tomorrow. Marvel at what God has done before he even made you. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And we could stop right there, we could bring the, our worship leaders up, and we could worship God just for that statement right there. Let that sit in your soul. God's been working to love me before there even was a me. But I was in God's heart, I was in God's mind. So why would I ever look at my future as if God was not with me and working? He loved us and chose us in Christ Christ. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. And then this has hit me over the the Christmas holiday break. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. This has overwhelmed me how patient God has been with me. And he's patient with me because he wants me to pay attention to his love for me. So God's working through patience that I would know his love for me through Jesus on the cross instead of me. In fact, Paul prayed it this way. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he says, I pray that you being rooted, firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. In other words, I pray you're aware of how much God loves you and how he has worked to show you and give you and ground you, and root you, and anchor you in his love for you. So what if, the way we looked at it, what if our frame of reference always went through where his love was displayed and demonstrated the clearest on the cross? Because it should have been me, but his patience and his love instead put Jesus his son on that cross and the cross tells me and I pray it tells you in your soul right now God is always present and God is always working for you for his glory according to his word according to his promises and that'll never ever not be true of you and certainly not of 2023 well let us pray together Oh God, we have talked about some incredible truths and I am praying that we are not dismissing them. I am praying, God, you give us eyes and ears to grab them, hold them, hear them, and see ourselves, see our years, see our future, see our past, see it differently. So God, thank you for loving us from before time began. Thank you, God, for being at work in our messes. Thank you, God, that a stone, which can be a sign of hard times, can become also a sign that you're with us and for us and working. So, God, may we look at this year. May we walk out of here looking at this next day, this next situation, this next whatever, differently, God. No new information, just a new frame, a new paradigm, grounded in your omnipresence, grounded in the truth that you are always working, God. You're always present, God. May we see our future through that frame. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being for us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being present. Thank you for being active. We give you praise and glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.